Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let's face it, almost everything is virtual these days. Outside of the stuff you've got in your pocket, money is nothing but a bunch of zeros and ones on a computer someplace. We shop online at virtual stores. We read virtual books on our tablets. Even our relationships have gone that way because of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of them. A lot of our music is virtual, too. It's been that way since we started ripping our CDs and trading MP3s online. Then came stores like iTunes with its digital tracks and albums and metadata. So it all stands to reason that we should have virtual artists, performers that don't exist in real life. Okay, sure, there's there's some human component, but they stay in the background where we rarely, if ever, see them. Back in the 1960s, we had the Archies, who were followed by Josie and the Pussycats, then Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem on the Muppets. There was Death Clock, uh, the Chipmunks, Prozac, Crazy Frog, Banana Splits. Miss Tula is from the Philippines and is represented by a bunch of female dolls. The bots are all CG creations. Hatsune Miko is a Japanese hologram, and, and then there's Jen in the holograms. They all have their appeal. But there is one virtual group that eclipses them all. Not only have they had hit singles and multi-platinum albums, but they also tour. They're even listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most successful virtual band of all time. Here's their story. It's the Gorillas. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. We got the power to do that! Gorillas from their 2017 album Humans and We Got the Power featuring Jenny Beth, the lead singer for an excellent British indie band called Savages. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross and this program is another request. Dozens of people have written asking that I do something on the greatest virtual band of all time. So here we are to carefully unpack what gorillas are all about. They're far from the only such band that we've seen over the decades, but they are the most successful, with worldwide album sales somewhere around the 20 million mark. Their creators have even found a way to tour them, even though the members don't really exist. They don't even represent personas of any real-life people. They're just drawings living in a completely fictional universe. But as an artistic exercise, it's all been very, very fascinating. The two humans at the center of all this are Damon Albarn of Blur, yes, a very good musician with a pedigree and track record, and Jamie Hewlett. Now, he's not a musician. He's a comic book artist, which in this case is just as important a role as being the music guy. So let's, let's start with him. Jamie was into drawing as a kid. By the late 1980s, he was working for a British magazine called Deadline, which featured comic strips and drawings by a variety of English artists. He and his buddy Alan Martin had their own strip called Tank Girl. These were tales of a teen punk girl who drove a tank, of course, and was accompanied by her boyfriend, who just happened to be a mutant kangaroo. Why? What's, what's so weird about that? Anyway, it was optioned for a movie that was made in 1995. But actually, before that happened, Steven Spielberg was interested in working with Jamie. 
Jamie's Tank Girl work attracted the attention of a couple of bands who asked him to create the artwork for their albums. Now, if you want to track down an EP by a British group called Senseless Things called You Got It at the Del Mar, that's Jamie Hewlett's drawing. Weird, snotty alien with arms coming out of his ears and being pushed in a shopping cart. Very strange. He also designed the decor for a nightclub. He opened a clothing store. He wrote for a computer magazine. And he created another strip featuring a gay Buddhist kung fu cop. Okay, and what's, what's so strange about that? Anyway, he also illustrated a comic strip in 1995 that was based entirely on the story told in this song by Pulp. That's Pulp and Common People, which came with a comic book version of the story told in song, but only for the French version of the single and an Australian box set. So yeah, it's uh, kind of collectible. So Jamie knew Jarvis Cocker of Pulp, obviously, and Jarvis was a mate of Graham Coxon of Blur. Graham became a big fan of Jamie's work. And after Graham introduced Damon to Jamie, they became acquaintances. By 1997, Damon and Jamie were sharing a place together in London. It seemed like the thing to do since they'd just broken off with their girlfriends. They'd sit around smoking and drinking and eating curry and watching TV. And this is when inspiration stuck. The TV was on MTV a lot, and both of them were fascinated by how vacuous so many of the artists were, how empty the music was, how little substance there seemed to be. Bloody hell, somebody said. We should just form a fake band. You make some music, I'll draw the characters, we'll shoot some videos, and the world will see how brilliant we are as we comment on the state of contemporary music. So basically, that's what they did. It was decided that this new virtual band needed four members. Jamie came up with 2D, Murdoch, Noodle, and Russell. So let's go through them. Stuart Harold 2D Pot, yes, that's his full name, was to be the lead singer, guitarist, and keyboard player. His singing voice would be that of Damon Albarn, while later his speaking voice would come from actor Nelson DeFreitas. Murdoch Nichols is the lead bassist for the group, which is an interesting position. Laura says that he was the driving force behind creating Gorillaz and is forevermore angry that he's not the front person. Think uh, young Keith Richards. Then we have Noodle. She's Japanese and plays guitar and provides backup vocals. She started in the band as a 10-year-old, but was later aged to 17. And the story is that when 2D and Murdoch were looking for a guitarist, a FedEx box arrived at their studio and Noodle jumped out. This is how she got the job. And the only English word she knows is Noodle. So she's kind of like Groot. By the way, the Gorillaz headquarters is called Kong Studios. It's supposedly high on a mountain in Essex, which is northeast of London. Uh, don't go looking for it because like everything else we're talking about, it doesn't exist in this dimension. We can, however, see what it looks like at gorillas.com. Oh, and finally, we have Russell Hobbs. He is the drummer and percussionist. He's the hip hop member of the group. And legend says he survived a drive-by shooting, which killed all his homies. But then all the spirits of his dead friends possessed Russell, giving him super percussion powers. Listen, this is a comic book band. What do you want? Work with me on this. Damon and Jamie first called the band Gorilla, but then they later added the Z because it looked cooler. 
They tested the waters with a single, which was released on November 27, 2000. It's called Tomorrow Comes Today, and it's very much in line with the trip-hop sounds of the time. The first-ever Gorilla single, Tomorrow Comes Today, released as a standalone on November 27, 2000. This marked the beginning of an era in Gorilla's history known as Phase One Celebrity Takedown, which I guess was basically the band's war on the celebrity culture of the era. That single gave everybody confidence to move ahead with a full album, which was recorded in both London and Jamaica. The music was rather experimental, more trip-hop, some alt-rock, bits of Britpop, a little dub, a little reggae, and a bunch of hip-hop. Damon says that touring the world with Blur brought him into contact with all kinds of music. He wanted to fiddle with these new influences, but Blur wasn't really the place to do that. Gorillaz, on the other hand, was the perfect vehicle. I mean, the group didn't really exist, right? So how could there be any rules or preconceptions? Damon, being responsible for the music, brought in rapper Del the Funky Homo Sapien, turntablist Kid Koala, and American hip-hop producer Dan the Automator. The first single from the album was Clint Eastwood, and yes, it's about the American actor. You can hear bits of the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly throughout the song. That was an Eastwood film. He started that movie back in 1966. And as far as anybody knows, Clint Eastwood has never actually commented on the song, but he certainly never complained about it either. The rapper is Del the Funky Homo Sapien. However, he is identified as Del the Ghost Rapper. See, in this case, he's one of the spirits of Russell Hobbs' dead friends inhabiting his body. That's why, if you've seen the video, he's shown as a blue-colored phantom. Gorillaz and Clint Eastwood from their debut album released on March 27, 2001. Dale the Funky Homo Sapien says he helped write the song using tips from a book called How to Write a Hit Song, which he bought thanks to a coupon his, his mum gave him. That single propelled the album to sales of about a million at home in the UK, over two million in North America, and beyond seven million worldwide, which is not a bad start for a fake band. More on Gorillaz in a moment. Welcome back, and this is the story of Gorillaz, the world's most successful fake band. Now, I'm not saying that these people don't exist, because they do, uh, but they aren't the stars. Those are the cartoon characters that front the group. So, Damon Albarn and Jamie Hewlett have a creation that, by the end of 2002, is selling records by the millions. Conventional wisdom would require a concert tour, but how are you going to do this? At first, live performances were conducted by using 3D animation on a screen that stretched across the stage, accompanied by a real-life band set up behind the screen. The first performance was in London in March 2001, and that was followed by a tour of the UK, Paris, and Japan, and then a North American tour in 2002. Now, logistically, this was interesting. The music kept coming, but in all kinds of different forms. There was the original, two sets of remixes, and then a DVD which featured performance videos, interactive games, and more animation. And this needs to be revisited. The first of these DVDs was called Phase One Celebrity Takedown. Now, the idea of phases is very important to Gorilla's lore. 
These are the steps, the, the eras that the group has taken towards world domination. Phase two is known as Slow Boat to Hades. After shutting down the website for what must have been close to a year, you could still go there, but Kong Studios was closed, a little robot guided you around the abandoned complex. The website popped back up on December 8th of 2004, and this heralded the upcoming release of a new album, which they called Demon Days, and it was released on May 11th, 2005. The first single from the second Gorillaz album, Demon Days, that's Feel Good Inc. And additional help on that track comes from Dila Soul, won them a Grammy Award for Best Pop Collaboration, too. The whole Demon Days project came together as Jamie Hewlett was trying to come up with a script for a Gorillaz movie. Meanwhile, Damon was off recording the Think Tank album with Blur. The movie never happened. But ideas were integrated into the album, the songs, and the music videos. If there's a theme to the record, it's about the dangers of ego and a world filled with darkness and concepts that were at least partly informed by a train trip Damon Albarn took from Beijing to Mongolia. To help sort out all the complexities, Damon called up Danger Mouse to produce the project. Additional contributions came from not only De La Soul, but Sean Ryder of the Happy Mondays, Nina Cherry, Ike Turner, Yes, the husband of Tina. Dennis Hopper. Yes, him. And even the London Gospel Choir, along with the Children's Choir. Here's the track featuring Sean Ryder. The song was supposed to be called It's There, but because Sean had such a thick Mancunian accent, nobody could understand what he was saying when he said, It's There. So rather than fight it, they just called the song Dare, which was what it sounded like Sean was saying. So. So much of the Demon Days album delved into the world of hip-hop to help tell the story of a world that's descended into night. It's not really a concept album, but if you listen to the record from front to back, you'll hear that it follows a musical arc. It starts fairly calm, but then things get progressively darker. Like the debut record, there were remixes and a DVD plus a talent contest. They called it Search for a Star, which brought in entries from all over the world. If you wanted to be part of this, you had to send a minute-long audio or video clip, or, this being the world of comics, an image file. The prize was a chance to collaborate with the band and have your own virtual room inside Kong Studios. It's a really cool idea, but the room idea never happened. However, the collaborations did. Three winners provided either animation, a remix, or a piece of artwork. And all that came together on a song called Kids with Guns. Gorillas with Kids with Guns, featuring singer Nina Cherry, and that's one of the four singles from the Demon Days album. And as successful as the first album was, this one was even bigger, moving at least 8 million copies around the world. This marked the end of phase two of the Gorillas' world domination plan, Slow Boat to Hades. And at this point, it did look like the movie was going to happen after all. Harvey Weinstein was interested. Monty Python man Terry Gilliam was interested. There was even a working title. Bananas, spelled with a Z, of course, but in the end, all the fans got was a documentary that was released online, which I guess is 
better than nothing. Up next, phase three. We'll get to that in a second. Welcome back, and we're moving through the history of gorillas. By the end of 2006, Damon Albarn and Jamie Hewlett were 15 million albums deep with a project that had no permanent members other than them. And here's where we get to Plastic Beach. The third album started out with the working title Carousel, but then one day Damon was walking on a beach someplace and he got very depressed by all the plastic trash that had walked up all over the place. Now, according to environmental legends, Pacific Ocean currents drive all kinds of waterborne plastic pollution into an area that's become known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, or the Pacific Trash Vortex. And this sounded like something the Gorillas organization might want to do something about. Now, I had a chance to talk to Damon about this. Plastic Island was the new Gorillas headquarters. It was out in the middle of the Pacific Trash Vortex, and it was modeled after Tracy Island. Now, if you know anything about the old Super Marionation TV show called Thunderbirds, you'll know exactly what Damon and Jamie were thinking about as this album came together. The guest list for this album is, is pretty insane. Mick Jones and Paul Simonon, both of The Clash. De La Soul, again. Lou Reed, Moss Def, Snoop Dogg. Marky e. Smith of The Fall. Little Dragon. The Lebanese National Orchestra for Arabic Music. Damon had even asked Engelbert Humperdinck to appear, but uh, alas, he declined. Then again, Johnny Lydon and Tom Waits also said they had better things to do. Jamie had grown a little bored with the characters, so he decided to age them up a bit. The most obvious was Noodle, who started, like I said earlier, as a 10-year-old girl, but by this time had become a 17-year-old teen. As for the music, it's much more pop than the first two records. That was by design from the outset. Let's sample something. This was the first single. It's called Stilo. Stilo, or Stylo, from Gorillaz, one of the singles from the third album, Plastic Beach, which was released on March 3rd, 2010. Sort through all the remixes and videos and short online clips, and you would have found yourself in Phase 3, Escape to Plastic Beach. If you were to go through the website, you would have got a full tour of this weird virtual island. It was also in 2010 that Gorillaz went on their first proper world tour. There were nine people in the band, including both Mick Jones and Paul Simonon. Instead of hiding behind a screen, like the first tour, they were out front with visuals projected on the screen behind them. It was quite spectacular, really. And after it was all done, it was time for phase four, which was called Humans After All. This era included a fan club album entitled The Fall, which was recorded entirely by Damon on his iPad during that 2010 world tour. Let's get a tiny taste of what that sounded like. This is a sample of a track called Phoner to Arizona. Phoner to Arizona from the Gorillaz album entitled The Fall, recorded entirely on an iPad. Shortly after that, though, Damon and Jamie had some kind of dispute and weren't talking to each other for a while. To Jamie, the music was getting bigger while his comic creations were taking more of a backseat. Didn't like that very much. They eventually worked things out, but it would almost be four years before they could work together again. Starting in around 2015, the Gorillaz characters got deep into social media. 
One had their own virtual book that explained what happened to them while the band was on hiatus. Murdoch had been captured by the record company and was ordered to make another album under duress. Noodle went back to Japan and took over the Yakuza. Okay. 2D was swallowed by a whale called Massive Dick. And Russell, who ended up becoming a giant as part of the Plastic Beach story, please don't ask, washed up on the shore of some North Korean beach where he was imprisoned and starved nearly to death. Now, he did survive, but it was that ordeal that shrunk him back down to normal size. After seven long years, the fifth album was finally ready. Humans was released on April 28, 2017, after a long, long buildup on social media. The list of people who agreed to contribute and not contribute is, again, fascinating. On the record, De La Soul, Grace Jones, Pusha T, Mavis Staples. Those who declined to participate included Morrissey, don't know what his problem was, and Dionne Warwick, who had some kind of religious objection. Rag and Bone Man did come into the studio, but his parts were never used. Same thing happened with some vocals from Blur bandmate Grain Coxon. And get this, Noel Gallagher made some contributions. He and Damon used to be mortal enemies, but that's all in the past. Noel's vocals were never used on the record, but there was no malice in the deletion. Let's try this. The song is called Andromeda. From the fifth Gorillaz record, this one called Humans, that's Andromeda. Now, let's be very, very clear. Gorillaz is more manufactured than perhaps any other musical creation ever. But because cartoons can get away with more than real humans can, the music we've heard from this particular manufactured band has turned out to be some of the most daring and interesting of the last 20 years. Remember that if you ever miss an episode of the Ongoing History of New Music, you can always get caught up with the podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday through iTunes or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Beyond that, though, I hope we can connect through my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Spend a lot of time on that thing, making sure that it's updated every day with all kinds of music and music and tech news. And it also comes with a free newsletter that will be in your inbox by 10 a.m. Eastern every day. I'm also around on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even Google+. We will find each other. Email can go to alan at alancross.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.